I've got a friend who is a tour guide, and Thomas, the tour guide, takes German tourists to Schlüsselwe Game Reserve from Durban, from the airport, all the way to Schlüsselwe, once or twice a week. And he always has to answer the same question, and that is, where can we buy sugar schnapps? Yeah, the Germans see these masses of sugar, and today I've got somebody with me who's trying to give them that schnapps. So please welcome Grant. Grant is the founder of Topanga uh, Rum, or, or Zululand Distillery. And yeah, welcome, Grant. Thank you, Holger. Thanks for having time to chat to me on your show. Yeah, so Grant, tell us how it started. You know Thomas. Yes, I know Thomas well, <laughs> um, and he has, he has visited once or twice before. Um, and one day we hope to have a fully-fledged tourist um, facility at our distillery that we can show his, his German tourists and hopefully sell them a few bottles of our form of sugar schnapps, that being rum. But you didn't, um, you didn't build the distillery for Thomas. No, not at all. So, yeah, it's, it's been a, a long journey, but I think a lot of people, especially those who live in Natal, know that the sugar industry isn't quite what it used to be. The, the returns we make on the farms are, are not, nothing like what they were when our, our um, fathers and, and grandfathers were farming um, sugar cane. Yeah, so. I, can, I can tell you, I was with my brother earlier at uh, Pekin Field Day, and I think there must have been 120, 150 people, and only, I think only 100, uh, only 10 RSVP'd. <laughs> so there's certainly people are hunting for some, some new ways of farming, I guess. Yeah. So I mean, that that's sort of what brought us into into the rum business was that we were looking at how we could diversify our sugarcane crop or, or add some value to the sugar cane that we were growing on our farm. So myself and a friend of mine, a, fe a fellow sugar farmer, Greg Hill, were chatting about it and we were looking at, at the various options available to us. And I travelled to Mauritius quite frequently and I always found it odd that we are a sugar producing country, yet we don't produce any rum, whereas most of the sugar producing countries in the world have, have rum. So as we sort of st started talking about what we could do with our sugarcane, and an obvious option was was to produce rum. Yeah, and I mean, if you think of um, Mauritius, I mean, we much more advanced economy, and yet we still don't make rum. No, for sure. That, and and so that was why I sat scratching my head, wondering why no one had done it. I, I think I've discovered you... one. Because <laughs> it's hard. Because it's hard. It is hard work. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, we. So I'm also a, a distiller of essential oils. So I have a, a facility on the farm that where we um, extract essential oils. So we had sugarcane, we had steam. It seemed like a, an obvious progression to to move into making rum. Yeah. So how did you start the essential oil business? That was something my, my father before me actually started up in our family farm up in Melmoth. Um, he was also looking for an alternative crop to plants and um, was looking for something where that animals wouldn't eat, people wouldn't steal, you could process on farm, you could earn foreign currency, and it wasn't perishable. So these, these were the, he was looking for a crop that ticks, ticked all of those boxes and somehow he stumbled across essential oils. Um, and I, I, was, I was actually living in London at the time, working in banking, and I think my brothers thought he had, my dad had gone a bit mad because he was fiddling with these aromatic plants. Um, but I came home every Christmas and just 
became very interested in them and that's eventually what brought me back to South Africa was to, to work in, in the aromatic plants field. Okay, that's quite progressive because your dad and my dad worked on, uh, were served on a, on a timber or forestry board and uh, from there, I mean, those old timber boards, everything, you know, there's one, one buyer and lots of sellers, so not much room for negotiating and adding value. Yeah, exactly, and I think that's what my dad was looking for. He was trying to step out of the business so my older brother could take over the forestry. Um, so he was looking for something uh, different and niche, and, and as I say, that answered those, those specific questions. So it was very progressive of him. Um, and yeah, that's, that's how he got in, or himself as well as me, got into the essential oil industry. And does that, does that, how do you extract that? Is it, is it's, it? a, it's a steam distillation process. Okay. So basically it, it is, it's different from the distillation of alcohol and we do use different equipment. So um, while we share a boiler between the two factories, which are side by side on our farm, the essential oil distillery basically just has large vats that we put um, the aromatic plant material into, we close up the vat, we introduce steam into the bottom of the pot, the steam percolates its way through the plant material, as it heats the plant material the, the plant releases its um, the oil and that oil vaporizes and you get a steam and oil vapor mixture leaving the top of the pot, we then put that into a condenser, cool it back to a liquid, um, the liquid comes out the end of the condenser into a separator and just through the differences in specific gravity the oil separates out to the top and we draw that oil off the top. So it's, it's a very simple process that has been used for hundreds of years. And is it easy to copy? It is easy to copy. Okay. Um, there, are, there are things that you need to know, but it, it, it's not highly technical. And as I say, the, the process hasn't changed in a couple of hundred years. The, mm. the, the materials used to, to build the, the distillation pots and that have obviously improved. Um, we use food grade stainless steel throughout, but that aside, it, the, that process of distillation has, has been around for hundreds of years. Mm. And what, what makes your business successful? Is it the marketing or the... the it's a combination, I'd say, of both quality and, and marketing. So on, this, on the essential oil side, we were the first certified organic brand of, okay. organ of essential oils or aromatherapy products. And that brand is? And they branded under the trade name under the name Soil. Okay. So for, um, which is talks is to the organic nature of how we farm, which is all about not putting anything, um, any foreign inputs into the soil. So it's about soil health, and also an sort of acronym of essential oil. So okay. S oil. And where is that available? So that we sell through major retailers like Clicks and Diskim, Wellness Warehouse, as well as independent health stores and wellness outlets. Okay, and what I'm trying to illustrate is that Grant knows what he's doing. <laughs> but the liquor business is different. Yeah, the liquor business is different, and I've had two vastly different experiences in, yeah. in the two businesses, um, which has been at times encouraging, but also at other times discouraging. Yeah. So with my... With my aromatherapy brand, it took me years and years to, to get into major retail. Um, it was very difficult making contact with, with the buyers in, in the big retail chains. They just simply wouldn't pick up the phone, wouldn't respond to emails. So it was very difficult getting an audience. Hmm. Um, when I finally did get an audience, we got the product on the shelf. And once it was on the shelf, it spoke for itself and it flew. Um, so we obviously had something very unique that... The, the public really wanted at the time at, at the right price um, so that that went really well um, with the launch of the rum 
we I was shocked as to how easy it was to get in front of the yeah. the, the, the liquor buyers or the, the spirits buyers at the various retail chains, whether it was pick and pay, checkers, macro, tops, and the likes. We, I must add, I must add, but I think that's because of the craft revolution. Correct. I think the timing was right, yeah. and, and it was what people were after. Um, although at the same time, my product being organic, there was an organic revolution going on at the same time. Um, okay. So. And then what happened is we got the product on the shelf, um, but it hasn't moved off the shelf yeah. as quickly as we would have liked it. So that, that, that is sort of the distinction between the two, the two different businesses. So we, we found it easier to get onto the shelf um, in the liquor business, um, but it has been harder to move the product off the shelf. Yeah, very hard. Yeah. I think a rum is a, is a, is a more difficult category than, than some of the other spirits. Um, and... and there aren't as many discerning rum drinkers out there um, than there are of perhaps people who would be willing to spend a bit more money on a good gin or something to that yeah. So if I look at my oldest beer friend, um, Peter from Nottingham Road Brewery, he's made a full circle where he's now, after 22 years, he's focusing on his home market, or his home, you know, which is at the brewery, it's at um, Beer Fussel down the road, and he's selling more and more beer and gin, for that matter, at, at, the, at the brewery. Um, so I still believe that that's an important thing, but it obviously takes a lot of effort and a lot of resources um, to sell at home. Yeah, I think certainly we, we firmly believe that, that our brand needs a home. It has a home. Unfortunately, that home is on our farm in, in mm. the middle of nowhere, well not nowhere, but Gingenglovo is quite quite removed from major major centres and, and, and tourist nodes. So it's something that we're going to need to develop over time um, and to build our brand home and for people to come and visit. So it's a work in progress, um, but uh, circumstances hasn't allowed us to haven't allowed us to develop it fully just yet. Mm. But it is somewhere that one can visit by appointment, and we hope in the near future that it'll be a place that, that tourists can stop in or, or anyone who's interested can stop in and experience the brand. Um, I think with, with what, what you're saying is, is perfectly correct and, and we've identified a similar thing with the production of our own gin. Um, so we had, we had no intention of producing gin. We, we want it to be authentically... I know, because I tried to get you to make gin. Eh? Yeah, but uh, so our, our, our ethos was about rum and yes. the fact that we... We are a single estate rum, and, and which makes us, I think, very unique. We grow, pre, we grow our sugar cane, we press the cane um, to form our sugar juice, we then ferment it ourselves to create the sugar wine, and then do the, um, distill it and age it all on the same, on the same piece of, of land, which I think is extremely unique. And, and that was the authenticity we were after. Mm. Um, unfortunately, none of our wives, myself and my three partners' wives, were interested in drinking rum. So we've been forced into making a gin, um, which we launched a little bit earlier this year. And, and the focus of that gin is, is more for our local markets, and, mm. and that is, we, comes through in, in, in the branding. Um, yeah. Before we get there, um, I, I chatted uh, earlier in the week, I spoke to Trevor from uh, Whistler Rum, and he said something interesting. He, he encouraged people to try rums from rum makers who predominantly make rum and not from normal distillers that make gin and rum on the side. Obviously, you're very passionate about rum, and I, th I think it's important to stress that, that you're a rum distillery, but it's not that difficult to make gin. Correct. I mean, I, I think what the fact that we're actually making our own spirit from the outset 
um, differentiates us from a lot of the other spirit craft spirit makers in the country. Not all of them are necessarily making their own spirits. Um, I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but I'm just saying it does differentiate mm. us from from other um, brands. And I think another differentiate uh, thing that differentiates us is that we're doing um, a rum agricole or what we've termed a rum africole. Um, the most of the rum that people will be used to is actually made from molasses and what the French would call uh, industrial rum. So industrial processed rum made from a byproduct of the sugarcane industry, that being molasses. Yeah. Um, we, when looking at the rum, we we thought we'd like to produce a really authentic French style rum, or like they do in the French. Um, Caribbean, which is termed a rum agricole, so that is made out of sh- fresh, freshly pressed sugar juice rather than molasses, and you definitely get a more a, a different taste profile out of that rum than you would out of mm. a molasses rum. It's a completely different taste, and I can encourage people to go visit the distillery and drink that juice that comes out of that sugar cane. It's it's amazing. I met uh, when I was in Stellenbosch the other day. I met a guy who's who imports these little sugarcane juicing machines and he puts them out at markets and uh, there's somebody who's, who's selling sugarcane in short sticks probably at the same price as checkers would <laughs> and you can you can make your own juice at the markets which I think is a good idea. Yeah, well, from what we understand is that it's actually a very healthy drink. It's not, You would be surprised to learn that it's actually um, it's, it's got a good GI index and okay. it doesn't actually spark your, your your um, sugars when you consume it so it's considered very healthy drink and they they say if you could find a way to preserve it mm. it could um, sort of be the next coconut water but unfortunately it's very difficult to preserve that sugar juice and that's why you'll only find rum agricoles made in sugarcane growing areas yeah, okay. um, just because to transport that juice is impossible it starts fermenting on its own uh, due to natural yeasts in, in, in the air so the molasses is um, I mean that you can ship all over correct so you can you can buy molasses and ship it all over the world and so you can mm. you could make rum on the top of a mountain somewhere if you could get hold of them of, of molasses but yeah. rum agricole has, has a provenance to it in that it can only be grown in or produced in the sugarcane growing region yeah so tell us a little bit about your journey from when you started to when you had this idea. It was a long journey. So myself and, and my, my friend and, and business partner, Greg Hill, as I said, we're, we're looking for alternative uses of, um, of sugar. And we decided to, re- to, to look at, at rum production. So we built some very, well, first we actually just bought, built a little sugar cane crusher and we were crushing cane fermenting it um, in, in 25 litre plastic containers and then um, distilling it on the top of my, my gas stove which is probably a little bit dangerous and out in a condenser out the window of the kitchen into some fashion container on the top of a wheelbarrow out the other side of the window and that's how we started and that would have been in about 2011 wow. so it was, it was a long time ago um, that following on from that, we decided to, to go and attend um, a distilling course up in Pretoria and learn a bit more about distilling. Uh, uh, so that was, that was a great eye-opener, and it was lovely to be able to, to at least get some education about it. We then obviously spent a lot of time researching it. We went to Mauritius and visited some rum distilleries there. And then for my essential oil business, I happened to be traveling in Germany. So 
I decided to go and visit all the, um, the, the, the manufacturers of, of um, distillation equipment. And we had a great trip going through through southern and, 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 and mid-Germany looking at, at the various um, distillation equipment makers. So that was Karl, Cote, I think I don't excuse my pronunciation, and then Holstein. Um, and I mean, the, the workmanship in those factories is, is phenomenal. And, and due to the boom in craft distilling the world over, their factories are just working flat out. Um, so we had a look at the various stills, um, all great quality. But for whatever reason, we just settled on on Holstein. Um, so we bought a Holstein, Arnold Holstein still. It's a beautiful piece of, of, of craftsmanship, hand-hammered copper pot still with attached to an a eight-plate um, column um, with, with a, a whole cleaning-in-place system. It's, it's really a, a, a beautiful piece of machinery. It is a masterpiece. And, and not, 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 I was always wondering why you'd chosen that. As I say, I, th- I think the, the three the three manufacturers were equally seemed to be equally good. Yeah. We just got a very good um, had built up a good rapport with the, the Arnold Holstein guys, and on actually in the the last few days of my trip to Germany, I ended up um, near a place called Lake Chiemsee, which is a beautiful lake in the southern area um, outside of Munich, and I went into a uh, old brewery who had recently installed a Holstein still to make whiskey um, and ha- had a long conversation with the owner and I think it was that basically that owner who convinced me to go with the Holstein still okay. um, so that, that's, that's, how, that's how it ended up being chosen and yeah the process then just got longer because they, they, they informed us that we had about a, an 18 month wait to get our still wow. So we paid our deposit and waited and waited and waited um, until eventually the, the still arrived. Um, beautifully packaged, as only the Germans can be, with some very clear instructions as to how to to put it together. So we quickly put it together and got got distilling. Okay, and then the red tape started. Yeah, the the red tape, you know, like a lot of a lot of things in life, it's a chicken and egg process where you can only. You can only do one thing once you've got the other in place, and and we we took a long time to get our all our licensing in yeah. place. We had um, the unfortunate circumstance where the KZN liquor authorities decided to change their laws halfway through our application process, and after being having an application for almost a year, they wrote back to us and said, "No, there's a new set of legislation in place. Can we please reapply under the new?" Legislation, so it, it was highly, highly frustrating wow. trying to get um, everything in place, and yeah, but we we did everything by the book, um, and you know, once once we had our license in place, then we could apply for our um, our, our number, our A code for, for the product, and, and all of those processes take take a very long time, and only once all of those, once you get your A code, can could we print our label? So our how, how quickly we anticipated we could launch the brand was way out. So, yeah. you know, business plans and, and um, budgets on spreadsheets don't always, don't always follow the rules. Probably never. Yeah. yeah, and then, I mean, we met, well, not that we met, but we, we looked at working together and, I mean, it is, rum is not easy. No, yeah. it, it's a tough category. Um, one of my friends, Ray Edwards, who started the Tops brands, he says, why on earth would you want to make rum? Even the big guys can't sell rum. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, 
I, I do believe that, that um, we are, we're making good progress. I think we, we've got some new management in that's, that's come with a whole lot of new energy and um, we're making some good progress. We, we've also looking to sort of own our local markets. So mm. we've, we've got a lovely um, rum van now. We, we, we bought an old caravan which we've converted into a bar um, where we sell um, rum and obviously our gin on tap and various, with various mixes. Uh, um, and so we're creating an awareness around our brand. And, and, and can people order that uh, for a party or yeah, for an so event? You, so, I mean, we, we've done it. So we only, we only completed the van in, in April, and we've already done four or five functions, okay. um, private functions, as well as a lot of public, a few other public functions. But basically, if you have a wedding or a 50th or 40th or 30th or 21st, whatever it might be, you can hire the caravan. Um, it comes with, with um, barmen couple of kegs of, of with, with your choice of, um, of spirit and mixer um, and at a fixed price and then you can you can add on as many kegs as you want as, as the night goes on so um, yeah, it's got its own lighting its own fridges its own kegs and barmen so it, it's, it's quite a novelty and and it's proved very successful at a number of events yeah you see that it just takes time to figure it all out eh? Yeah, and, and we're actually using it as a bit of a test case. Mm. Um, we're about to launch a, a new product. Um, it's, we're calling it the Topanga um, Copra Spirit Aperitif. Um, what it basically is is a um, flavoured rum. Mm -hmm. So we flavoured our, our normal rum with um, coconut flesh and almonds. So it's a cocoa almond. Um, a copra is, is, is the flesh of the, the roasted flesh of the coconut. So the... the um, Basically, the husk of, of, I mean, the kernel of, of okay. the of the coconut. So it's a lovely, easy drinking um, product, at which a lot of the ladies actually like. So it's our little way of trying to get the ladies to to come and enjoy a rum too. And just explain that. Um, I mean, therefore, the department will make you call your product spirit operative Correct. because so there's no category for it. As soon as the, the thing with rum is that as soon as you add anything, um, much, it's not rum anymore. It's not rum. So rum has to be a, 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 a pure product, mm. only, only made of a sugared or sugar derivative. As soon as you start adding caramel, colorants, spices, so even what, what we all know as a spiced rum, we cannot call a rum in South Africa. So we have to rename it to a spirit aperitif. Mm. And that, I mean, in the past, that's had kind of a negative connotation, but I think with all the craft producers, you, you're forced to call it something. Yeah, I mean, so on our label, we will mention that we have blended our rum with, um, the, with the, the coconut and almond. So people can see what it is on the label. Um, it would be nice to call it a, 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 a coconut or copra-flavored rum, but we, we're not allowed to. But I, I think the con consumers are becoming more and more aware and, and are also looking at the label more mm. than they used to. So hopefully they, they'll, they'll figure it out through that. And through activations that we do with the caravan, um, people will get to know the product in person and hopefully buy it from there. Yeah, that's very exciting. And But, but the, your main two brands are, or your main two products are the, the gold rum and the white rum. Correct. So that's, that's what we launched with was the gold rum and the white rum. Um, we were able to launch our, our gold rum right away due to the, the length of time, time it took to between starting our distilling and, and getting all our labels and all the various approvals yeah. done. Um, but we also, in addition to the copra, um, we're hoping to launch our premium reserve in, at the same time. And how old is it? In about two weeks. And that's going to be a five-year-old rum. Wow. 
So it's it's a lovely rum. It's uh, we believe it's it's a rum that that can stand on its own. It's a sipping rum. You can drink it on ice. It's got a really smooth taste and. It's been sitting in a barrel for five plus years. And who would that appeal to, whiskey drinkers? I think it would appeal to, to whiskey drinkers. And, and there are some rum drinkers out there, believe it or not. <laughs> so there are people who, who, who like a good rum. Um, and, I mean, we, we've seen it. You, you only have to go to the airport or, I mean, to any of our, our, our good bottle stores, and you'll see there's some good rums on the shelves. They're, yeah. they're not at, in the same volumes as your whiskeys and things like that, but there are good um, there are people out there who pr- who appreciate a good rum. Yeah, so I think it's time for a good rum festival. Yeah, there are a number. Well, there's a number of craft spirits festivals, I suppose. But yeah, I think we do need a good rum festival. Because uh, I mean, rum I think has got a different ring to it. Um, yeah. And I don't know. Have you managed to kind of create a tribe? Have you got some loyal rum people? Yeah, we've got a lot of um, loyal rum drinkers, and I say we. We, we're trying to own our, our region at the moment, mm. so we're starting at home and, and working outwards from that. I know here in Belito, where we're chatting today, there's a lot of people who, who appreciate our Topanga rum. Um, so, yeah, we, we're starting to g- gather a, a good following. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, I think, I think it'll be a nice idea to, to get a rum festival going at, at some stage. Um, there are, the one problem is that there are a lot of festivals, craft rum, I mean, craft spirits, craft gin, yeah. craft beer festivals and I, I do worry that, that people get a bit of fatigue after a while that there's almost too many going on yeah I think there's definitely too many beer and gin festivals correct but uh, yeah rum I think people dress differently they got different shirts on yeah <laughs> <laughs> no certainly I, 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 there's just not that many of us yet but I, I certainly yeah. think that there's, there's scope for some, uh, a rum festival at some point in the near future yeah, and rum internationally, I mean, you've obviously traveled. Mauritius, we know, is a rum destination. We don't know why. Because the Mauritian rums don't sell in South Africa. I've tried. Poor old Neil, he imports some of these rum. Is, I mean, he pulls out his air. He's, he's spent so much money on importing rum from Mauritius, yeah. and he struggles to sell it. Yeah, I, th- I think rum, uh, just in general, is a, is a, is a hard category. Mm. Um, and it's dominated by by two very big brands mm. that I think steal the bulk of the market share. But I think as people start to appreciate all spirits more and more, I think we, we'll, you'll see brands such as ours starting to chip into that market share. Yeah. And cocktails, is that, is that growing? Does that yes, work that's for certainly you? certainly an area we're working on and, and we've worked with some restaurants to, to actually do branded um, cocktails on their, on their menus like Turn and Tender and um, brands like that. So... Um, it's definitely, I think there is a bit of a, a cocktail revolution quietly building, mm. um, and and I'd hope that that we'll be part of that. And that's also what we're trying to get through our through our caravan is, is to sort of create that that vibe of a, of a cocktail um, cocktail culture. Yeah, I mean, if if and I just follow these guys on on social media, the guys that go to the rum fests in, yeah, in the overseas Caribbean and London yeah. and France and Paris yeah. I mean those are massive massive and it's a completely it just looks different I mean they, the, the guys don't look like craft beer drinkers <laughs> yeah, yeah so we, we haven't been fortunate enough to attend one of those yeah. yet but it's certainly as as we're building our brand we, we're hoping to be able to do that with you know with us now having a bigger basket of goods it, it justifies going to some sort of festival yeah. like that and, and we certainly have an eye on the export market. Yeah. So last week I I spoke to an, a lady who imports Inverosh. 
into Germany. Yes, I saw that. You saw that, and uh, she—I mean, I've tried—I've tried to sell her to tell her about rum, but it's—I think a gin person doesn't necessarily uh, or cannot necessarily also sell gin. I mean, rum. rum. Um, although the German market is obviously a massive, massive rum market. Yeah, I mean, that, it would certainly be of interest uh, for us to to try and tap into those type of markets. Yeah. Uh, we, we, and. It is, as I say, it's on our agenda, and and with our new um, manager on board, we're certainly looking at, at trying to tap, tap into those international yeah. markets. Um, now tell us about the story of gin. Well, as I was saying, our, our wives, uh, myself, my, our business, my business partners and I, our mm-hmm. wives weren't so keen on rum, so we figured, well, why not do a gin? We, we've got the equipment. Um, when we actually bought our Holstein still, when we spec'd it, we spec'd it with a gin ba- a basket, so a gin basket is, is, is basically just a stainless steel basket that we're able to insert into the gooseneck of our still where you can place a whole bunch of botanicals um, and then as you distill the, the liquor um, or the, the spirit or your, or your wine below, it percolates through, through the botanicals. So we expect that from day one. So we always had an, an eye on, on doing, mm. um, doing a gin, but we just hadn't got around to it I suppose and, and we're really trying hard to to develop the, the, the rum brand. I think the story about your wives is absolute rubbish. I think it's because you live where do you live? You live <laughs> yeah, in King so, and so, Yeah, the, obviously our farm is in King and and that's a bit of a mouthful and when certainly when I was growing up and I know it, Me you know, too. <laughs> in, 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 the, in history people you know people will ask where you're from and you say and, and they stumble and say what and you say no no just say Jinjin I love you and, and that's a, so that is what we named our, our gin it's, it's called Jinjin I love you um, and yeah, I think it's, it's a, a nice story and well appreciated in, in our area and that's why I say it's, it's a bit of a local, a local story our gin. Yeah, it's a lovely story every time we drive past it I, I get out the car and I point at the road sign and I post it on social media so <laughs> without thinking of uh, of uh, ever branding a gin yeah. like that but well done Thanks. so the story goes back I think to to the to the Anglebor War, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean that. So the word "king in actually may have two meanings. The, the, the one meaning they, they say is the um, to swallow the elephant, <laughs> or it could be. Uh, I need to read it actually. Sorry, I need to give you the official yeah. version. So um, the, obviously, "king in is of Isizulu origin, and it's said to mean the place of the big elephant or more possibly, swallower of the elephant. Um, and as we say on the back of our label, the word is indeed a mouthful, so locals refer to the name rather as Jinjin, I love you. Yeah, perfect. Well done, man. I, I, I've, I think that is the brand that South Africa and at least Zululand has been waiting for, so I hope that, that it works well for you. Yeah, so um, as I said, at, at the moment we, we haven't pushed it very hard, we've, we've just kept it very local, mm. but certainly um, in, in the near future we will start marketing it a bit further afield, but rum is still our focus rum is of, your of, thing. of our yeah. business, and, and we, we want to concentrate on being good, good at, at rum. Um, as we believe that's our differentiator, the fact mm. that, that we, we own the whole process from from the from the ground through to the shelf, um, so we will do. But um, yeah, in terms of our gin, it's also, it's a very easy drinking gin. 
we haven't tried to do any fancy anything fancy and it doesn't change color um, it, it doesn't have any exotic botanicals it's it's a real um, you mean you don't go foraging for the for the <laughs> no we're not foraging for any any botanicals on the farm um, I think most of the botanicals we find growing wild on the farm may be illegal anyway so yeah, still <laughs> maybe they shouldn't make their way into our gym. <laughs> well Grant it's been wonderful chatting to you and uh, a wonderful journey um, and I certainly hope that we can grow the, uh, the rum market because I believe there's eight um, rum makers in South Africa now or craft rum makers and I think you guys should all work together and grow the category together and I know it's, it's not it's easier said than done but uh, certainly I think we need to educate the trade and we need to educate the consumer and I think we need to do it together. Yeah, I agree with you entirely. I mean, part, when, when we started this journey, the, the one question we, we asked was why, aren't, why do we not have a rum route? Why are there not distilleries from Port Shepston to Pongola? Mm. We've got this beautiful coastline of KZN with rolling fields of sugarcane all around us, yet no, no rum distillery. So I'm hoping that we are the first of, more, and of many to come and that... Maybe in, in 10 years' time, we will have a, a, a rum route that, a rum that runs route. the length of our coastline. So we'll, yeah. we'll have to wait and see what happens. But yeah. I agree, um, it would be good to work together with, with a bunch of other rum producers. Yeah, I believe there's a rum distillery opening in Richmond. I have heard of one opening in Richmond. I don't know much yeah. about it, to be honest. So I think they're just waiting for the final sign-off. And that... I mean, it is on a, on a sugarcane farm, so it might be a rum producer as well. Well, that would be great to hear. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, think, I think it would be great if we can build up that culture. And I think, I think people, like you say, the people expect it when, when the foreign tourists land here on our shores and they see all the sugarcane. Mm. They're all probably well-traveled people, so they've been to all these other sugarcane-producing um, areas and, and they expect to find rum. So yeah. um, I, I think it would, be, it, would, it would be good for our tourism industry too. So I can, t I can vouch for that. You know, the, the importer of the Inveros Gin, her business partner is in, in Hermanus, and she says she gets busloads of tourists. She sells, a, she gets 100 tourists a day, and she makes them drink Inveros, and when they want to know where to buy it in Germany, they give her the contact details <laughs> in Germany. And uh, that, you know, powers the, the Inveros engine in Germany. Sure, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's so. We, I mean, we. One of the, our successes has been um, selling our rum in, in, in the duty-free stores. Okay. So um, the product actually does really well. It's one of our best-selling, uh, one of the, the places that sells our rum the best. So I, I, I think if people can start associating Topanga with with KZN, it it, it will do do us well. And, and you know, if people can take a bottle home as they're passing through the the, the airport, all the better. Yeah. Well done. Thank you. Good luck. Thanks, Olga, for your time and, and for your support of the industry. Cheers. Thank you for listening to today's show. And if you know anybody who might appreciate Grant's story, please share the podcast with them. Today's show was brought to you by Drinksbiz, a community of entrepreneurs and professionals in the liquor industry.